Matthew chapter 19. We're continuing the series on marriage and family. And uh, I think it's going to probably go for another seven or eight weeks after tonight. And I'll be done with uh, marriage and family. Marriage and family, uh, divorce between believers. Next week I'm going to preach on divorce between if there's a believer married to an unbeliever. Uh, how do you deal with that? Matthew 19, verse 3 to 9. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you for help again. As dependent creatures, life, breath, and everything comes from you. Without you, we can do nothing. And we pray for understanding. We pray for eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to receive the truth. Even as you say in this very text that only those to whom it is given, they can bear this, they can take this, they can understand this. And we pray then that you would give us that heart to understand the word of the living God. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, you know as well as I do that the world, people just get divorced. And people get divorced very quickly and very easily in the world and almost for any reason. You can even now get divorced online. Uh, I, I checked a website just to check statistics for divorce. And as the website opened, I saw the words, need a divorce, affordable, fast, without hassle. Do it quickly, do it easily. In 2019, there were 129,600 weddings. It's a bit more, I'm just rounding it off. 129,600 weddings in South Africa, 23,700 divorces in South Africa. Now, the, when you look at the divorce figures, let's say about uh, 40% or so, you look at the divorce figures, that would have been even higher if people get married. But nowadays, many people don't even get married. They just live together. They have no respect for God's ordinance of marriage. Some people will say, if you look at divorce stats, they'll say that divorce among Christians is just as high or even higher than divorce in society. That's not true. That's not true. You can, you can check uh, websites and they're going to tell you that. That's not true. Why do I say it's not true? Because divorce stats is high among those who say they are Christians, but they are not born of God. They're not born again. Their lives have not changed. If you go and look at divorce stats among people who not only say they're Christians, but who spend regular time in the Word of God, they are active members of a biblical church, an evangelical church, a gospel pre preaching church. They are born again then the stats drop to 50% lower than society. And yet, we should acknowledge that divorce is a horrible reality even among real Christians, not just people who say they're Christians. It's a reality. And in, in many cases, people who get divorced, they've got no biblical grounds for the divorce. They've got no biblical reason to get divorced. And so the question for us then becomes, so what is a biblical reason for divorce? And we're going to look at one reason tonight. I know some Christians say you may never get divorced, never get remarried. I'm going to deal with that tonight also. But one reason tonight, and then next week we'll look at a second reason for divorce. Now the second reason might cover a, a different kinds of issues under that second reason. All right, so... Let's read Matthew 19, verse 3 to 9. On the screen you can follow if you don't have an English Standard Version. And Pharisees came up to Jesus and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that you created them from the beginning, made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce 
to his wife and sends her away. Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. All right, so number one, the Pharisees' question. That's in verse 3. Now, among the Jews, there were two, there were, uh, two schools of thought, two, two ways the Jews thought about divorce, marriage, divorce, and remarriage. So one school was a certain rabbi called Hillel. Uh, he was born about, yeah, let's say about 100 years before Christ. And Rabbi Hillel said, this was all based on their interpretation of Deuteronomy chapter 24, where Moses says that if you find something in indecent, something um, perverse in your wife, it's scandalous, it's unbewerlich. So if you find something indecent in your wife, then you should give her a bill of divorce, a divorce letter, divorce papers. And so, so the whole issue, the whole fight came between the Jews about what does Moses mean if you find something indecent in your wife. So Hillel said, the Hebrew word there, erva, indecent, it's also used in Deuteronomy 23, verse 13 and 14 of human excrement, humans going to the toilet. So he says, that's indecent. So it's not only talking about uh, sexual sin, it's talking about anything indecent. So if your wife burns the toast, that's indecent, you can get a divorce. And that's really how they thought, Rabbi Hillel. Rabbi Shammai, he was born about 50 years before Christ, and Rabbi Shammai said, no, if Moses says you can, you can divorce your wife uh, or give her the letter, the bill of divorce, the divorce papers for something indecent, it's not something indecent, something, anything. It's something indecent. And the word indecent, irva, the Hebrew word means nudity, nakedness, gall. So it's talking about sexual sin. So you can only get divorced for sexual sin. Now the Pharisees, they believed the first view, Hillel's view. Because in verse 3 it says, the Pharisees came up to Jesus, tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? In a career. But yeah, well, can you escape? So that's their view. And guess what? It's the disciples' view. Jesus' disciples believe that. Because in verse 10, the disciples said to Jesus, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. They're shocked. Jesus, you're so narrow-minded. Then we shouldn't get married at all. If it's so hard, if you need to stay with one person for the rest of your life. And so they held that view. And obviously that's the popular view of the day. And now the disciples, they want to trap Jesus. They want to trick Jesus. They want, to walk, they want him to walk right into their trap, so they're asking the question in verse 3, can you get divorced for any reason? Now, remember, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, he rebuked King Herod. He went right up to the king, stuck his finger under his nose and said, King Herod, you are sinning. You took your brother's wife. Your brother's still alive. You, you're sinning against Leviticus 18. And what did, what did King Herod do about that? Well, he had John arrested, and he put him in prison, and eventually he chopped off his head. He decapitated him. And now they're hoping Jesus is going to give the same sort of thing. They want to catch Jesus. They're hoping he'll be strict like Shammai. Uh, Rabbi Shammai will be strict like John the Baptist. <clears throat> now, Today it's the same thing, right? Today people have a very loose view of divorce, a loose view of marriage. People, as I said earlier, they just live together. They don't even get, don't even get married anymore. So a loose view of marriage and a loose view of divorce. Uh, and the reason they do that is because they have no fear of God. Uh, Psalm 36, where the psalmist writes, there is no fear of God before their eyes. They don't care for God. They don't care what he says. It's like in the days of the judges, Idafani Richter, Judges 21 verse 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. And that's, that's how people live today. Everyone does what is right in his own eyes. We do not, we no longer have that attitude that Joseph had. When, remember when Potiphar's wife tempted Joseph sexually? She said, come and sleep with me. She kept on tempting him. And Joseph said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph had the fear of God. It's like a pastor. I was at a meeting of pastors, and 
in the, it was actually a, a, like we just bro broke away for a few days and it was a time of prayer and then a day of fasting and some more prayer and discussion and reading the word and preaching. And some, somehow, somewhere, the, the topic of marriage came up and the guys started, started talking about marriage, the other pastors, and this old pastor, he's really an old guy, he said, you know why I've never been unfaithful to my wife? You know why I'm married to the same woman for, and it was many, many years at that stage, and he said these words, it's because I fear God. And remember, fear of God doesn't mean being afraid, running away. It means fearing Him, coming in reverence and awe and respect. So do not get married if you are not planning to keep your marriage vows. If you're planning to find a quick way out, I'm just going to do this and then later on I'll look out for something, don't get married. Jesus taught us that your, let your yes be yes and your no be no. So when you take those marriage vows, it reminds me of a pastor, I heard him speak at a conference. And this guy, an excellent preacher and a very devoted Christian, he loves the Lord. But this is what happened to the guy. A number of people, actually almost all the people in his church encouraged him, get married to this woman. She's like the ideal pastor's wife, the perfect pastor's wife. Or the perfect wife for a pastor, not the perfect pastor's wife. <laughs> um, and so she, the people encouraged and said, yes, get married to this girl. On their way to their honeymoon, she said to him in the car, if you think I'm going to be faithful to you, you've got another thing coming. I'm going to enjoy my life. Wow. And so very soon she, she was unfaithful to him. She committed adultery. And in the end, they, they were divorced. So if you do get married and you make those marriage vows, say what you mean and mean what you say. And fear the one in whose name you make those promises. The one in whose name you make those vows. And if you're going to fear the one in whose name you make the vows in the name of the triune God, then you, need, you and I, we need to know the triune God. We need to know the God of Scripture so that you can live your life, your marriage, and the rest of your life. As I read this week, Koram Deu. Koram Deu, it's two Latin words. I was really moved by this. I remember reading, reading or at least just scanning through an article by R.C. Sproul on this. Koram Deu. And I thought, what does this mean? And it means to live before the face of God, to live your entire life in the presence of God, under the authority of God, and for the glory of God. It reminds me of Abraham. I've prayed this for my son, Timothy, when he was much younger. I prayed this for him, where Abraham in Genesis 18 prays to the Lord, and he says, Oh God, oh Lord, may Ishmael live before you. And I prayed this for my son. Oh Lord, let my son live before you. And I've prayed this for myself, and I've I put it on my status, or not my status, my profile pic, just to remind me, Koram Deu, to live before the face of God and under the authority of God, where, where Jesus teaches us, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And to live to the glory of God, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and faithfulness. Psalm 115, verse 1. And if you want to live this way, if you want to live Koram Deir, to the glory of God, in the presence of God, under the authority of God, then Jesus needs to be your Savior. You must be born again. You must acknowledge that your sin is what's uh, of Stuart Lickin Engels? Abominable. Your sin. Revolting. What did you say? Yeah. Of Stuart Lickin God hates your sin, not only your wife, not only your husband. You need to acknowledge your own sin before the Lord and repent. You need to acknowledge you have not lived. I have not, not lived to the glory of my Creator. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
And then you must acknowledge that the sacrifice Jesus brought on the cross is sufficient. It's enough to remove your sin and my sin. You must believe Jesus died. Jesus was buried. Jesus rose again on the third day. Jesus is your Lord. You must bow the knee to Christ as your Lord. He rose so that he could be your Lord. And so you cannot, you cannot just make your own decision as to how you want to live. I want to live this way. I'm going to do this. I'm going to live this. I'm going to live according to these rules. You are not the master of your own destiny. You are not the captain of your own ship. Jesus is your Lord. And so you bow the knee to Jesus Christ. You bow and submit to the Word of God also when it comes to marriage and the topic of divorce. So how do you do this practically? You and your spouse, you and your husband, you and your wife live in the Word of God. On your own, you have your own Bible reading, your own quiet time. As a couple, as husband and wife, you spend time in the Word and then also uh, join a biblical church. Join a good church where you can hear the teaching and the preaching of God's Word on a regular basis. And you don't, you don't choose how you want to understand the Bible. And I'm not saying you should choose how the pastor understands the Bible because you need to check the pastor. Is he preaching the word? But you don't understand, oh, this is how I want to understand the Bible. This is how it works for me. That's exactly what the Pharisees did. In verse 3, can you divorce your wife for any cause? And then they go on later quoting Deuteronomy 20. But what, what about Moses? Moses commanded this. Moses, Moses said this. So it's just their own understanding of the Word of God. No, what you and I do is we tremble before the Word. You and I tremble before the Word of God. You and I, we bow our necks under the Word of God. And so that's why you need to keep your Bible open or keep on checking the text. Is it in the verse? Or is the pastor sucking things out of his thumb? And that's what Jesus goes on to do. Jesus says, haven't you read in verse 4? Don't you read your Bibles? Don't you know Scripture? So Jesus is taking them back to the Word of God. And that also goes for marriage. So you, you go to a passage like Ephesians 5, verse 22 to, 20, uh, to 33, and you go through it and see, right, I'm a woman, what does God expect of me as a wife? I'm a husband, what does God expect of me as a husband? And you do what God tells you, and you remain faithful Till death separates you, as Jesus says in verse 6. And if both of you do that, husband and wife, you'll have a fruitful marriage. You'll have a blessed marriage. Okay, number two, Jesus' answer. Now we're going to cover verse 4 to 9 in some detail. Okay, so first of all, you see in verse um, 4 to 6, have you not read? Now, what, what Jesus is doing here is quoting from two verses in Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, actually verse 27, and then Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. So Jesus is going right back to the beginning. Let me explain it this way. If, you've got a, if you're building a house, and some of the guys here will know how this works, if you've got massive cracks in the walls, not little cracks that you can polyfill, if you've got massive cracks in the wall, very often what's the problem? foundation. You've got foundation problems. Why did the Pharisees not have a correct understanding when it comes to divorce? Foundation problems. They didn't go to the very first chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2. They misunderstood that. And, and that is still the reason why people misunderstand divorce, why people do not understand marriage. Why is that? They've forgotten the foundation. Psalm 11 says in verse 3, if the foundations are, des are destroyed, what shall the righteous do? If you destroy foundation in biblical teaching, you're in trouble. And so what people do nowadays, they do exactly what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees didn't read Genesis 1 and 2 when it came to marriage, and today people replace Genesis 1 and 2 with what? Evolution. And because they believe in evolution and they disbelieve Genesis 1 and 2, they don't believe God created one man for one woman from the beginning. As Jesus says in verse 4, Have you not read, He who created them from the beginning made them male and female. And unfortunately what happens today, people will tell you, uh, Oh no, you're not, you're not the gender that you were born with. You're not the sex you were born with. 
No, no, there are 50 different gender identities. You can choose which one, whichever one suits you. You, you can be lesbian, you can be gay, you can be queer, you can be asexual, you can be anything you choose to be and anything you think you are. And you can get married to whom you want. Let me respond by saying this. A marriage between two people of the same sex, same gender, and now they try to distinguish between sex and gender, I don't buy that. But two people of the same gender getting married, that is... That is no marriage. That's like marrying a field mouse or a rhino. That's no marriage. You can't call that a marriage. You can't define that as marriage. And I chose those, those examples because in Genesis 2, when God created Adam and he said, oh, I will create a helper fit for him, a helper that suits him. And what does God create then? Not Eve. He creates animals and he brings them. Actually, the animals had been created. He brings them to Adam, then Adam has to name them. Not one animal is found. Not a field mouse, not a rhino. Suits a human. And then God creates the woman. And she suits the man. They fit together. Okay, so it says in verse 4, male and female. Something else, if it says male, singular, female, and actually that is a singular in the Greek, uh, the, the sense of the word is one male, one man for one woman, one male for one female. That would mean polygamy is sin. Polygamy, polygamy, feel one man having many wives. And that is common in many cultures. Uh, that is unbiblical. Even in the Old Testament, yeah, oh, but what about those examples? Go back to Genesis. So that is sin. Polygamy is against God's will and also divorce. Because God created one man for one woman. Now tell me this. Here's Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They're the first two humans. Who else was there for Adam to say, Eve, you're not as pretty as... Oh, there's no one. It's only you. <laughs> it's the only woman for him. And that's the only man for her. There's no one else to get married to. They can't get divorced. And they can't be married to more than one, one person. Only one woman for one man. So if you, if you want God's stamp on your marriage, you need to follow this definition. You want God's stamp on your marriage, God's approval on your marriage, then you should do what verse 5 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That comes from Genesis 2.24. So it's an exclusive relationship and an exclusive sexual relationship. It's not this woman and this woman and that man and that man. One woman, one man. They become one flesh. God joins them together in marriage. And they live as one. They function as one. As verse 5 clearly teaches. <clears throat> now according to the Bible, look at verse 6. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together. Let not man separate. God is the one who join a husband and wife together in marriage. It's not the job of a lawyer, not the job of a pastor, not the job of a magistrate, not the job of yourself, the wife, or the husband, or someone else to decide what constitutes marriage. What is a marriage? It's God who says, this is my definition of marriage. And this is what I say in Genesis and what Jesus affirms and confirms here. So God decides, this is a marriage, and this is the only way a marriage can be ended. God alone has the right to do that. Verse 6 says, What therefore God has joined, let not man separate. In other words, do not get divorced. And do not encourage other people to get divorced. Like a woman I heard of who actually encouraged her daughter, get divorced. Divorce your wife because he's working overtime. Divorce your wife. Uh, divorce your husband. He's working overtime. That's what she said to, to the woman. Divorce the husband. Or another case where the family members encourage the wife, divorce your husband. And the psychologist encourages the wife, divorce your husband. There's something wrong psychologically, and yet that psychologist had not even met the man. Do not encourage divorce. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, 10 to 11, Paul says the same thing. We're going to get to that text next week. And then even worse... Don't say, God told me to divorce my wife. 
God told me to divorce my husband. Like a famous Afrikaans singer said about seven years ago, God told me. We, yes, 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 we still love one another. No, he did nothing wrong, but God told me it's now time to get divorced. No, God did not tell you that. Your own desires told you that. Or the devil told you that, but it wasn't God. God hates divorce. I preached that last Sunday. Malachi 2 verse 16. God hates divorce. And God is the only one who brings a marriage to an end. And the way God, it, it says, what God has joined together, let not man separate. In other words, God may separate that. And the way God separates a marriage is by death. It's through death. Or the two grounds for divorce we find in Scripture. Verse 9, we're going to get to that. And the other ground, 1 Corinthians 7 verse 15, I'm preaching on next week. Now, if, if you have a marriage that God has not joined together, because that says what God has joined together, let not man separate. Now, there are many things that go through for marriage nowadays. That's not marriage at all. So if you so-called, if you married, quote, unquote, but it's not God's definition of marriage, then God hasn't joined that together. It's not a marriage. You should end it. You should break off that relationship. For instance, a man getting married to a man. That's not a marriage. A woman getting married to a woman, it's not a marriage. A man getting married to his sister, that's not a marriage. It's against God's definition of marriage. Or one man getting married to many women. The first one is a marriage. The rest don't count under God's definition of marriage. Or just living with your girlfriend, that's not a marriage. God tells you, break it off. You're living in sin. You're disobedient. Or maybe getting married to someone who's had a sex change. That's not a marriage. What God joins together, and his way of joining together is back Genesis 1 and 2. A man, one man for one woman. One natural man, biological man, a man created like that, and a woman created to be a woman. Not having an operation, and now a woman all upside down and changed it. So you should break a relationship like that. All right, so that's Jesus' teaching on Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, and then Deuteronomy 24 is the next teaching he gives in verse 7 and 8. Listen to this statement. I heard this from a Bible translator. I've already made up my mind and not even the facts will convince me otherwise. That's what some people, that's how some people reason. I've already made up my mind, not even the facts are going to convince me otherwise. That's exactly how the Pharisees were. So the Pharisees, they already decided this is what we believe. We believe you can leave your wife for any reason. You put too, too much aromat on the food, I'm out of here. So they've already decided what they want to believe. And even if Jesus just told them, this is what Genesis 1 and 2 say, says. These are, here you have a teaching. Even if Jesus said that, that makes no difference. They've already decided what they want to believe. And so now they quote Deuteronomy 24 in verse 8. Uh, or verse 7, what about Moses? Moses said you, you must give your wife a certificate of divorce. Give her divorce papers and let her go. What about that? As if, as if you can take one passage of the Bible to refute another passage. So if you're doing it, text. Let's just wipe Genesis 1 and 2 off the table because now we've got Deuteronomy 24. Does God contradict himself? God doesn't contradict himself. The year of your spirit himself, what they should have said is, oh, wow, Genesis 1 and 2, that's powerful. Whew, we, maybe we're wrong on Deuteronomy 24. Maybe we don't understand what Moses said. <laughs> and then Jesus shows them where they're wrong. So they think, they think, oh, Deuteronomy 24 says you can get divorced whenever you want to, but Moses never gave a command. They say, look at the, the word, verse 7. Why then did Moses command? Moses didn't command you to divorce your wives. That's not the point of the passage. What is Moses saying? Moses is saying, you are already divorcing your wives for any reason. That's wrong. That's wrong. And what's God, what God's going to do is, is he's going to uh, put a law in place to prevent that from happening. Om te keer het jylle so een vir enige rede skuil, links en rechts skuil. So, in a sense, Hillel was right. That guy who said you can get divorced for any reason. He wasn't right to say that, but he was right to say the guys did get divorced for any reason. They did divorce their wives for any reason, 
This, the, the Deuteronomy text, when it says, uh, if you see something indecent in your wife, give her the divorce papers, Shammai was wrong. It's not talking about sexual sin. That's something indecent. How do we know that? Because uh, three verses later, it says if she, this woman, her husband divorces her, she gets married to a second man, only then is she defiled. Don't say Andrein, she's impure now because actually she's committed adultery. She's supposed to be married to this guy still. So only then is she impure. And if it was sexual sin in the Old Testament, what would have happened if you committed adultery in the Old Testament? Not divorce, death penalty. So this is not about sexual sin, why the husbands are leaving their wives left, right, and center. Deuteronomy 24 is about hard-hearted men. They're hard-hearted men like the Pharisees. They are bullying their wives. They have no respect for God's institution of marriage. They've hardened their hearts against Genesis 1 and 2, where God says, here's my blueprint for marriage. Here's, here's the original that, you, that I want you to follow. They've hardened their hearts against that, and now they suppress their wives, and they oppress their wives, and they bully their wives, and they send them away, and they divorce them for any reason. That's the point of the passage here. Jesus says in verse 8, Moses didn't command it, verse 7. Moses allowed it to protect these women. Okay, how is he protecting the woman by saying give her a divorce papers? This is, is how, this is how um, the women are protected by giving divorce papers. What would happen is the husband would think twice because in that same passage it says, if you divorce your wife, give her the divorce papers. Because if she marries another man and that second husband dies or that second husband divorces her, you can't take her back. So what would that cause you, if you have to put pen to paper and think, I have to give this woman divorce papers, ooh, do I really want to do this? Because I can never get her back. I can never remarry this woman if I divorce her and she marries a second husband and then the second husband dies or divorces her. I know of a story a woman told me that she got divorced and she was really sorry. She got a quick divorce. She just thought, no, 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 I'm, I'm over this guy. I'm tired of this. She got divorced very quickly. And then later on, she was so sorry. And she said, I wish I had him back. Why did I divorce him? But then he was already remarried. Hmm. That's the point. That's the point why Moses allowed this, to protect the woman. So that they aren't just chased out of the house. I'm done with you. I'm getting divorced. I'm getting a divorce. Okay, write the papers and think through before you sign those papers. Ooh, do I really want to do this? I think we should ask ourselves that. If anyone here, anyone watching online, if you're considering getting divorced, think very clearly and think slowly. Don't be in a hurry. Think, do you really want to do this? Number one, is it biblical? Do you have biblical grounds for divorce? And number two, do you want, want to do this? And then also think of marriage as a holy institution of God and think of God hates divorce and think of my, my husband and I, my wife and I, we are one flesh. Do I want to tear this apart? Do I want to go this route? And please never threaten with, with divorce. I heard an older pastor say in a sermon, he said, we never use the D word in our house. It's forbidden. So when my wife and I have an argument, never bring up that argument. I'm, I'll divorce you if you don't. Don't even mention that. It shouldn't come up. It's not part of God's will. Rather, work through the differences. And if you can't work through, sort through your own issues, get help. Get help. Ask Committed Christians, ask devoted Christians, can you help me? Can we come and work through this and solve the issues? Listen, if you're a Christian, you've got all the resources you need to solve your marriage problems and to have a happy marriage. If you're a Christian, you've got the Holy Spirit, you've got the Word of God, you've got prayer, and you've got other Christians to support you and to pray with you and to even help you because some people have gifts of wisdom and knowledge and, and people who know the Scriptures and know how it should be applied, and gift of encouragement, and so on. 
Right, and then we also see uh, 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 under Jesus' answer the new covenant, the never verborn. So this is a new teaching that Jesus emphasizes, <coughs> and that's in verse 9. Now, the South African law, the law of our country says that if you go for counseling and counseling doesn't help your marriage, your marriage is broken down and counseling doesn't help, then that is grounds for divorce. You can get divorced. Or, as they say, that if your husband or wife has a mental illness, as they call it, a mental illness, mental problems, and it cannot be healed, you can get divorced. So I know of two cases like that where women actually divorce their husband for what they would call mental illness. I don't call it mental illness. Um, but for instance, one wife, she divorced her husband because for many years he had been depressed. And he was still depressed, and so she just said, it's enough, I can't take this anymore. She divorced her husband. Another case where a woman said that, oh, her husband is uh, diagnosed as a schizophrenic, you know, people who act weird, um, and he's diagnosed as a schizophrenic, so so I'm getting divorced, and she did. She got divorced. But it's not the government's job to tell you what are grounds for divorce and what are not grounds for divorce. It can only be the government's job if the government got the idea of marriage, if it's their idea. Marriage is not the government's idea. Marriage is God's idea. So God gets to say, this is grounds for divorce, and this is not grounds for divorce. It's not even Moses' decision. It's God's decision. And that's, that's why Jesus, in verse 9, if you look at the verse, Jesus doesn't say, Hillel says, because that's what the Pharisees were basically saying. Jesus doesn't say, Shammai says. Jesus doesn't even say, Moses says. Jesus says in verse 9, I say to you, I am the one who created marriage in the beginning. I was there in Genesis 1 and 2. I'm the one who created one man for one woman. I'm the one who created Adam and Eve. So I get to say what marriage is. And so Jesus tells, that's his institution, let me tell you how marriage works. So if you want a healthy marriage, if you want to know, is there grounds for divorce? May I get divorced or not? Don't listen to your friends. Don't go to your friends. Don't go uh, to a psychologist. Don't go to Christian books even. Don't go to uh, synods, church meetings, and say, oh, the synod has decided. He's a new I don't care what the synod says. I don't care what church meetings say. I don't care what biblical counseling books say, counseling books, uh, top-selling Christian books. Unless they follow the Word of God, don't listen to them. If they follow the Word of God, say, where is it in the verse? Oh, you see that word? Yes, I see it. And when they show it to you in the verse, don't say, you know, looks like you're doing spiritual gymnastics. I don't quite see that. Then don't follow it. It must be very clear open, plain, oh yeah, it's there. The Bible teaches this, and this is what I should do. So, so measure, whatever people tell you, measure it against the word of God. Acts 17 verse 11, the Jews in Berea were more noble-minded than the Jews in Thessalonica, and every day they searched, searched the scriptures to see if what Paul said was really so. So you and I do the same. And even if I preach, you check me against the text. Is it in the verse? Okay, now we're going to do exactly that right now. You're going to check what I'm going to tell you now. Is it in the verse? So there are two main views on divorce and remarriage when it comes to evangelical Christians, Bible-believing Christians. Two main views. The first view says you may never get divorced and never get remarried. And when you say, but what about verse 9? I say to you, ever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. And what they're going to tell you is, that's not about marriage. And I've got a friend who believes that. And there's a very good preacher, and you like him, some of you. He believes that. And I'm not going to tell you his name. It might influence you to say, I want to believe what he believes. <laughs> Just say, what does the text say? All right, when you say, but what about that verse? They're going to say, that's about engagement. It's not about marriage, about betrothal. So engagement in the Bible was much stricter than today. The only way you can end an engagement, if a Leuven, in, in Jesus' time was to write divorce papers. And how do we know that? Do you remember when Mary and Joseph, Joseph found out Mary's pregnant and he said, oh goodness, I didn't sleep with her, we're not married yet. 
she must have been sleeping around. Now she's pregnant. And then it says Joseph was a just man, a righteous man. And then he decided, I'm not going to embarrass her and make a scene. I'll just give her the divorce papers. I'm, I'm going to get a divorce. It says in Matthew 1 verse 18 and 19. And now those people who believe that, uh, who believe uh, this view, they say this is what this is about. This is saying if you're engaged, the only way to break the engagement is through a divorce. And the only reason is you can only get divorced if your fiancé committed sexual sin. She slept with someone else. Um, then you can get a divorce. I don't think that's the right view. And let me tell you why I don't think it's the right view. Verse 9, I think, does include engagement. A biblical engagement. Remember, uh, engagement in the Bible, as I told you, was much stricter than now. So I think it does include that. But it doesn't exclude marriage. Why do I say so? Let me ask you some questions. What was the Pharisees' question to Jesus? Was it about engagement or marriage? It was about marriage and divorce, not about engagement. Jesus quoted three Bible verses. Genesis 1.27, Genesis 2.24, and Deuteronomy 24, verse 1 was in discussion. Actually, verse 1 to 4. What are those passages about? Engagement or marriage? Marriage. So Jesus is clearly talking about marriage here. And then, another thing, look at verse 8. Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. Verse 9, whoever divorces his wife. What is verse 8 about? Marriage or engagement? Marriage. Then what is verse 9 about? Marriage. What did the disciples understand? What did they think Jesus is talking about in verse 9? Look at verse 10. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. They're thinking, Jesus is talking about marriage and divorce. They're not thinking, Jesus is talking about engagement. Right, so if verse 9, if my friend is right, and verse 9 is actually about engagement, betrothal, a much stricter form of engagement, but, but then that would mean the only way to break up an engagement would be divorce. And it would mean the only reason you can break up an engagement is if one of the two committed sexual sin. And that would also mean if you break up the engagement for any other reason and you marry someone else, you're committing, committing adultery. Because verse 9 says, I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Or you need to go and say, well, actually, you know, verse 9 is not for us today. Verse 9 was just for those people because engagement was different in those days much stricter. So it's, it's not meant for us. Um, I think of, I'm thinking of a pastor I know. This guy, one of his church members broke up an engagement, broke off the engagement. They disciplined that guy. He was under church discipline for breaking off the engagement. I don't agree with that pastor. But if he believes verse 9 is about engagement, at least he's consistent. He's doing what he believes. I think he's very wrong. It was wrong to do that. Okay, so my only question to my friends will be, if you say verse 9 is actually about engagement, I want to ask this question. Bring me one verse in the whole Bible, only one verse that says we must follow engagement rules as the Jews did in the first century. There is no such verse. Not a single verse says, this is how engagement works. Now, I understand verse 9 is about divorce and remarriage. That's what Jesus is talking about. Just like in Matthew 5, the verse Chris read in the beginning of the service. Now, Jesus says, what is the only reason two Christians may get divorced? Because remember, he's talking here about Israelites. Those are God's covenant. That's God's covenant people in the New Testament. The church, we're part of that covenant people. What's the only reason two believers may get divorced according to verse 9? Sexual sin. That's the only reason Jesus gives. Now, sexual sin is a very broad term. The Greek word porneia or porneas, that includes uh, incest, blitzkander, sexual affair with nove family. That includes homosexuality, 
according to Jude chapter 6. 1 Corinthians 5 talks of incest. That includes prostitution in 1 Corinthians 6. That includes any sexual thin, sin, sin you can think of. Now, the, the question comes, or maybe before I get to that question, uh, this I did not know. And a guy pointed this out. I thought this was quite interesting. Pornea, sexual sin, would even include if you get married to this person. Let's say that here's a guy who marries, gets married to the girl, and they married for a month or three months, and he sees, my wife's six months pregnant. It wasn't me. She's pregnant with another man's child. And I think even in a case like that, sexual sin would be included there in verse 9. That the, that will be grounds for divorce, just like Mary and Joseph, when he, they're still engaged. She's pregnant. Okay, he's going to break this off. Um, so I think this would go. All right, now, now the question comes, what about pornography? Because Jesus says in Matthew 5, if you look at a woman and you lust, you've already committed adultery in your mind, in your heart. So can... Can you get divorced if your husband views pornography? Is that, is that, does that sort under verse 9? Whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality? I don't think so. I don't think pornography goes under that clause. Here's the reason why. Even though it's adultery in the heart and in the mind. That would be like saying, oh, that guy's bitter. He's angry with him. Jesus says anger is already murder in the heart. I think he deserves the death penalty. Now you give death penalty for anger. <laughs> Where you give death penalty for bitterness. Now, pornography is in the same category. It's a sin in the mind. It's a sin in the heart. It hasn't gone into to action of physical, physical adultery or sexual immorality. So I don't think it's a ground for divorce. Although, if pornography is not stopped, it will probably go into an act of sexual immorality. And that will be grounds for divorce, as verse 9 tells us. Okay, now, if you get divorced, your partner, your wife, or your husband has been sexually unfaithful. Jesus says, if you then marry someone else, what does verse 9 imply? That is not adultery. But if you get divorced for any other reason than sexual immorality, and you marry someone else, you are committing adultery. Jesus tells us here. Now, a question comes then, but what if my husband beats me? My man's lonely, and he just keeps on, he beats me every night, he gets drunk, comes home, he's angry, he throws a temper tantrum, then he beats me up. What if my wife, she, she murdered someone? She's a murderer, she's going to jail. Now, I must just stay single, not allowed to get me. What about if my husband, he abuses the children? What do I do in such a case? What you do in such a case is, that is not... Matthew 19, 9. That is not a case of two believers. That is next week's passage. That is 1 Corinthians 7. That's a believer and an unbeliever. I mean, if your wife murders people, she's a serial killer, she's not a Christian. Or if your husband, he beats you up every night and gets drunk, he's not a Christian. Okay, so then we, we deal with that next week. I'll talk about that. So be patient there. So, when it comes to two Christians, the only grounds for divorce is Matthew 19, verse 9, if there's sexual sin. That does not mean you have to get divorced because my wife was unfaithful or my husband was unfaithful. It doesn't mean you have to get divorced, but Jesus does allow for it. He says, yeah, God allows for divorce to take place, although God hates divorce, um, but he allows that in such a case. And by the grace of God, you can forgive someone like that. Maybe you're in a case. Your husband committed adultery. He was unfaithful. Your wife committed adultery or other sexual sins. She was unfaithful. There is mercy. There is grace. And there is help. There is help that God can change that husband's heart to be really sorry for what he did, to confess his sin and to beg his wife's forgiveness or the other way around. And by God's grace, he can help you to forgive your husband, to forgive your wife, to rebuild your marriage. That is possible. God can do that. With God, all things are possible. Now, if, there, if there's no remorse, your husband is not sorry at all. In fact, he just continues his sleeping around with others or uh, being homosexual or whatever. Or your wife does that. If that just continues, well, in such a case, 
God can help you. Even through the, the, the very painful process of divorce, God can help you to deal with it in a Christian manner and with a Christian attitude. Because very often, here's the, the husband, he committed adultery. Here's the wife, she's not guilty of adultery. But then her attitude turns and she's got a very unchristian attitude through the whole divorce process. And there's bitterness and fighting and shouting and other bad things happening. And that is not Christian. Uh, for, for Christians, I've never been through this and I, I pray that I never will. But, but for Christians, even though the other party is guilty, God can give you the grace to deal with this publicly and in a Christian attitude. And obviously, the best, the best would be that you remain faithful. Remain faithful to your husband, faithful to your wife, and don't get divorced at all. Because, because to get divorced, it doesn't honor God. Um, even, even though you may be not guilty in, in that case, but, but the divorce, it's ugly. It does not honor God. Like one man said to me, a man who got divorced many years ago, he said to me, it feels like someone has died. It's very painful. And some of you know that. You've been through that. Uh, so remember your marriage vows. Remember the vow you made to God and before God and that you made to your husband or wife. In prosperity, in adversity, in sick or in rich, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, I will love you and cherish you till death do us part. Our Father in heaven, we know this is sharp teaching. And Lord Jesus, your words, you didn't beat, beat around the bush. You didn't come with words to please people. Uh, you came to protect, and we know that if we remain within the confines and the borders of your word and what you have taught us, we will have joy and peace. And we know some of our own people here this evening and people watching online, they have pain and they have hurt. There's been sinned against them or perhaps they have been the ones who have been unfaithful, but your mercy is great and your forgiveness is great, Lord. And you cast all our sins in the depth of the sea and remove it from us as far as the east is from the west. Thank you that you do not condemn, but you've come to save and that you say that all who believe in you will have everlasting life. And you say, to, like you said to that woman, go and sin no more. And actually we remember you saying to her, neither do I condemn you. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters this evening, those who have gone through divorce, that even those who still feel the pains of divorce, even those who hear the sermon and it's like reliving old memories, I pray that you would soothe their pain and ease their pain and, and bear their burdens and pick up uh, their dragging arms and dragging feet, hanging hands, and that you would lift them up and encourage them and strengthen them through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.